0: Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe.
1: My name is Jeff Follinsby, and I live in Chautauqua, New York and work at Chautauqua Institution. The last book I read was too long ago. I need to be less consumed by work, newspapers, and magazines, maybe in 2022. I've been reading Evan Osnos's book, Wildland, The Making of America's Fury. Topic I can talk for hours about is golf and golf courses. My mentor is Barrett Carson, who is retiring on December 31st after more than 40 years leading fundraising programs in higher education. I only worked with him for 18 months, but he has remained a friend and a guide and is responsible for getting me the job that got me this job. If stranded on an island, my top three must-haves are a way off the island as I'd be a total loser and dead quickly.
0: That's funny. In the world of nonprofit revenue generation, fundraising is part of that landscape. But is it the kind of the last thing or the first thing nonprofits should look at?
1: Well, it really varies on the nonprofit. Hmm. Every one of them needs to be focused on fundraising. Some nonprofits that I know of, 90% of their revenue, if not more, comes from fundraising in one form or another, be it selling raffle tickets or just writing a grant or asking people for money. Others, such as the one that I work for right now, Chautauqua Institution, has traditionally generated 80% of its revenue from sources other than fundraising. And thus, a lot more focus gets put on that other revenue generation than it does on fundraising. But that last 20% is critical. And without it, the organization does not uh, make money. As I'm sure others have said to you, being a nonprofit doesn't mean that you're supposed to lose money. (laughs) Because if you lose money, you're going out of business at some point.
0: You bring up a good point, right? Uh, So I've seen across the globe as far as nonprofits that I've worked with or had on the show or talked to about what we could help them with in managing their knowledge is that there seems to be a transition, and I'll use my own case, where I'm the founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. So there's a, a bit of a transition to get from doing things that you think you should do uh, as a small nonprofit because you care or you want to help someone and then you get someone that maybe sits on your board that's more of a business person and said oh hey you're not just doing that for free are you (laughs) almost a bit of a competition between well wait a minute I thought a charity was just supposed to help people so you bring up a very good point on the business sense how evident is that do you think Well, I I would guess, I mean, it's an indicator of success. If a nonprofit's still in business, then they're doing something right. So how do you advise, what would you say to a small nonprofit to get them from that founderitis or, you know what I mean, where they're just trying to do their mission, but they don't really look at the money?
1: Well, I guess I'd tell them if you don't look at the money, you're not going to be able to advance your mission very long. You have to stay in business, business being your mission, whatever whatever that is. And as much as passionate as you might be about it, what's the plan to be able to continue to do it? If you're feeding the hungry in your local city, how are you going to buy the food? How are you going to get the food? Right. There are costs associated with it you're obviously not going to be able to sell those meals because you're giving them away. My guess is if that's what you're doing, you're heavily dependent on fundraising.
0: So let's talk about fundraising. How many instruments or how many, uh, let's kind of go through a list of things that could be considered that fundraising. So you can do donations, right? Ask people for donations. Is there such a thing as in-kind services?
1: Absolutely, and a lot of, new nonprofits in particular rely heavily on them. It's volunteers. It's people who show up to do the work. That's an in-kind service. Now, most people don't claim it or think about it that way, but anything you're getting and that you're not having to pay for is is that.
0: Is there an advantage to a nonprofit to track hours and personnel or, or what it was that was given to the organization?
1: Sure, there is, because you need to understand your, your business, again, using that as mission. You, know, you need to understand what it takes to do the work you want to do, and if it takes 20 people, six hours a day, five days a week to accomplish what it is you want to accomplish, at the level you want to accomplish it, you should know that Mm -hmm. and understand that at some point you may say, we could really be better if we had employees who we could really train and who dependent on us for a paycheck and all of that. Not that volunteers aren't wonderful, but. There's an element of they come and they go. And when you really need them, are they going to be there? All of those variables. But yeah, keeping track of it's critically important. Just again, to you thinking ahead and how you're going to build out the organization. You you need that information and to be able to plan
0: ahead. In a large organization such as where you are now, how much of the strategic view or the strategic plan all ties back to revenue? Would you say it's half the strategy or?
1: I'm tempted to say that it all has to tie back to revenue. You can have all these grand ideas, strategies to attain your objectives. But if indeed don't have the resources to undertake them, what good are they? If they don't generate resources for you that allow you to do something else, is it the right strategy? Or is your go- Do you have the right goals? Good point.
0: And I, I'm kind of driving this home because I'm hopeful that the listeners will say, uh, you know what, we don't really focus that much on the generative part of what we do, which you have to kind of put that egg in front of the basket to say this, if this does not happen, then it's all for naught, right? If you don't have that generation of income revenue, however you want to label it.
1: I think we have to remember is what donors are looking to do is to make an impact. Mm. That's why people give, think about it. Why do you support whatever charities you Mm -hmm. do support? You think they're doing something important. You think they're doing good work. And therefore, you want to support that. Any organization needs to be able to tell its story, needs to be able to say, here's the difference we're making, whether it's just in one little corner of one small area or it's big. You know, if you think of the Red Cross and hurricane relief or something like that. What you're doing, though, is you're touching individual lives. And if you can capture that story and tell it, people are going to respond.
0: That sounds like a maturity that needs to have happen in a young or youthful uh, organization, that they have to get that figured out because it goes hand in hand with buying in by the donor. The importance of why do I care? You know, getting that little bit of a tax credit, yippee but I wanna help make a difference or I just believe in whatever that is. It's a commitment, right? It's really a, a partnership.
1: Well, sure it is. It's understanding what your role is and mm. how people are gonna to respond to it.
0: Can you talk to me a little bit about creating a foundation, or not a foundation, endowment?
1: So it doesn't necessarily have to be an endowment in the sense that an endowment is a permanent fund that is likely to last for ever or multiple years Um, you could create a fund that's going to be spent out in three years or five years or whatever for a specific purpose
0: but does that element come into you know here again let's go back to strategy if you've got something like, and this is common phraseology out there, a capital campaign. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you talk to me about what that means, what a capital campaign is?
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, the language has changed because capital used to mean, you know, when you think about capital, it was buildings. You were, you were raising money to build a building, and thus it was known as a capital campaign. Language we use now is a comprehensive campaign, because we're not, we're looking to do more than build a building. We're looking at raising money for annual operations. We're looking at creating endowment, uh, permanent funds that will support uh, the, this institution forever in perpetuity. Uh, so you're doing all of these things. It's not just about buildings. Uh, whatever you call it, and they still get called capital campaigns a lot. It's an effort that goes beyond what you're trying to do on an annual basis. Every year, you've got you know a number you need to hit to balance your budget, basically. Again, to stay in operation, to not lose money. So you do that every year, and, and thus most charities, nonprofits have annual funds and they seek that support on an annual basis. But every once in a while, they say, hey, we need to go beyond that because there are new initiatives we need, or indeed there are new facilities that we need, or we would all like to have more endowment. And a campaign is really nothing more than a way to focus the attention of your giving community to rally them and your best supporters over a intense, short number of years, all get on board, have a goal, create some new visuals, Mm -hmm. things to rally around Mm -hmm. and see if you can't raise some money beyond what you do on an annual basis.
0: So let's go back to the endowment concept. Now, the endowment can Mm -hmm. be designed to be for particular spend or a particular program, or it can also be just for operational capacity. Correct? I mean, you can
1: yeah, yeah, unrestricted or unspecified endowment, which is any organization's most favored, most favored
0: endowment. (laughs) Well, why doesn't everybody just start an endowment then and they don't have to worry about selling games a chance and,
1: but when you think about an endowment when we and we have this conversation with donors all the time is you come and you're thinking about the world as it exists today but the whole idea of an endowment is to be there 20 years from now 40 years from now to support this organization that you care about Imagine all the things we don't know about an organization and the pandemic has really highlighted this. I mean, the organization I work for basically ceased operations for a year and we had lots of endowments that were based on our doing something as opposed to saying, Here's the money and let those in charge figure out how they need it at the time. And thus, we had all sorts of endowment money that we couldn't draw on because we couldn't meet the purpose that the donor, a really good purpose, and in every other year in our 147-year history, we could have used it. 2020 we could not and in some cases we had the similar restrictions for 2021 where we could not thus why we all love unrestricted endowment but i get the fact there are certain things that you really want to support and let us hope god please that these last two years aren't repeated anytime ever So I get that. But so, yeah, you can put restrictions on it for purpose, less so in terms of the spend rate. Uh, Occasionally, organizations will allow that. But most of them want to say, look, here's our policy on spending from endowment. And it's a nightmare if every one of your funds has a different spending percentage your treasure is going to go absolutely (laughs) batty as opposed to applying four or 5% across the board. If this one's six and this one's two and you get the
0: point. You need to kind of factor that in right up front, right? I mean, that's, that's something you want to have built in is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, you do. Most organizations need to be around a little bit before they get into the endowment game. Most donors are going to want to make sure you have staying power. I don't want to create an endowment for an organization that's going to be out of business in five years, frankly, the more you're, you know, you've been around and you've got a proven track record, then you can go out and think about endowment. And many new nonprofits, you know, just getting to the next year and being able to operate is what's important. So the, the focus is really on that annual fund as opposed to endowment. Once you get established, then you can begin to think about how you build an endowment to support what you're doing.
0: How many years would you say in most nonprofits does it take to get to that level of proof, that level of Hey, we're still here.
1: Wow. <laughs> I think it takes a while. I what what's a while. Right. It's more than 10 years, I yeah. think. Yep. We're 147 years old, and we didn't really get serious about raising endowment until we were 100 or a little over 100. Wow. Now, that's, that's a fault on our part. We could have been we should have been mm-hmm. annual giving was where the focus was most most endowment is raised through people's estates people leave money in their will ten thousand dollar bequest think if you got a ten thousand dollar bequest in 1920 or and managed it well what it would be worth today right. but when you see mostly major universities who have these huge endowments. They've got funds in those endowments that came in in the early 1900s, and they've had them in, invested for a hundred years. But that, that's how really endowment gets raised. Most of the large endowments are because they've had a really strong estate, what's known as a plan giving program talking with donors while they're alive planning out their
0: bequests um at the time of that's death. the usual way the, the, that the endowments
1: yeah it's not the only way i mean we raise i mean we go out and ask people for gifts to endowment but over time the majority of the money comes in through uh through a bequest up until recently the largest gift to. Uh, the Chautauqua Foundation was a bequest that we didn't know about. I'd worked with the donor for a long time, and it was one of the most thrilling days on the job was when I got a phone call from his widow saying that when he died at the age of 99, he had left us $5 million. Yeah, that was a good day. Surprise. That was a good day. <laughs> we
0: had a little party. So you take the rest of the week off with that,
1: not with his, money. not with his money.
0: (laughs) So that just gets to the root of why people bother to care, right? Philanthropy is something that is a, can be a rewarding and engaging experience. Where do you think the biggest, granted it helps when you've got that kind of money to sit on or have that you could give to someone, but what do you think is the most personal attribute of somebody who cares enough to give money or resources?
1: Oh, wow, that's a really good question. I thought you were going to go somewhere else. I think you know, one of the most amazing things is that the United States is so different than every any other country in the world. And people can claim it's our tax code, but I think it's something else because most people don't give for tax reasons. They really don't. The research proves it that that's not the case. But there is something about the spirit of Americans that it seems a little harder to believe given the state of affairs today around community, around coming together to help out your neighbor, to seeing a wrong and wanting to right it. It's, I don't know what it goes back to that just can do spirit. When you think about this nation at its founding and, but I don't know, uh, I, so it's going to take somebody smarter than I to answer that question.
0: Always fun to understand behaviors and what sparks somebody's behavior to do anything. As a fellow non-profiteer, it's always interesting to look at people and say, I wonder what their motivation is. What what are they getting out of this, you know, as far as whatever they're participating with? And uh, so, yeah, maybe that is something we need to look well, at.
1: I occasionally play Mega Millions. I've obviously never won. <laughs> uh, but the only reason I play, I'd love to be able to give that money away.
0: Hmm. Well, I'd say that's a good motivation.
1: Tell my wife I might keep a little <laughs> yeah. bit just uh, just so I'd know that my family would be okay. Not wealthy, but okay. But otherwise, the thrill for me would be to go to the organizations that have really meant something to me in my life uh, and say, hey, how can I be of help?
0: A caring attitude. Um,
1: yeah, giving back, it's giving back. It's knowing that many of us have, you know, done well, led good lives, been given things. But the pe- think about the oh, people yeah. who helped yeah. you out along the way. Pay it forward, right. not just pay it back, pay them back, but pay it forward.
0: I appreciate your bringing yourself into this conversation because it's a very personal thing to participate or donate. I think it's very personal.
1: Philanthropy is a very personal choice decision, where people give, mm-hmm. uh, to
0: what extent. And probably as much why they will not give or participate. There's probably just as much on that side of the coin too, right? They're like, oh, I would never give money to those people. No way. Mm-hmm. No way. Well, Jeff, I want to ask you, what would you say your definition of knowledge management is? I
1: don't, I'm not sure I'd ever heard the two words used together
0: until about two weeks ago.
1: <laughs> and not to be flipped, but it's clearly about how does one manage, how does one take knowledge, things that we've learned, and pull it together in a way that it's a benefit
0: to somebody. Uh, In a nutshell, that's it. You nailed it. You've graduated. Well done.
1: I'll expect a diploma (laughs) in the mail.
0: Well, thanks for being here, Jeff. It's been splendid. My pleasure, Edwin.
1: Nice to chat with you.
0: Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.